This is Crucial Tech, a podcast about the technology that affects us all, but few of us understand, presented in a format that can give you some basic understanding and the time it takes to drive to the grocery store. I'm Lou Covey, an independent journalist who's been writing about various technologies ranging from renewable energy to digital security for more than 40 years. I probably know more about it than you do, and if I don't, I will introduce you to those who do. Welcome back to Crucial Tech, and today we are talking about something that you will probably never, ever think about, and yet, at the same time, you are going to be very concerned about it. Uh, this has to do with your banking. Now, I've, got, I've had some specific issues uh, with banking where people have actually uh, captured my data and stolen money from me, and the nice thing is, is that banks are insured against that. And if you can prove, and it's fairly simple to prove, that somebody accessed your account without your authorization, they will restore that money to you. It's a pain in the butt, uh, but you really don't lose anything but time and frustration uh, dealing with it. Uh, but the thing is, the banks lose money. Now, when we talk about the issue of cybercrime in the world, we're talking about trillions of dollars of losses that go on. And the particular area we're going to be talking about today is really small potatoes in comparison. We're talking about tens of millions of dollars, uh, which, again, you don't lose anything other than having to be frustrated in dealing with it. But still, it's a cost to the banks and to the insurance companies that insure those losses, which happen every single day. Now, to a certain extent, we, we know about credit card skimming or, or, or ATM skimming, where a criminal will put a device into an ATM and will copy uh, all your data and then steal money from you. And that's really small potatoes, and it does happen quite a bit, but we're talking about a few hundred dollars, maybe a couple thousand dollars here and there. Uh, I, I, in particular, lost uh, over $2,000 from one of these scammers who ended up buying some uh, brewery equipment in the UK, of all places, which was fairly easy to, to track. But what you may not know is that some of these cyber criminals have figured out how to steal money from ATMs without actually even touching the ATMs. Uh, they, they do it through... Uh, cyber hacking by putting code uh, into uh, uh, emails, uh, scamming uh, bank uh, uh, employees into uh, adding the stuff. And they're stealing money out of the ATM, stealing cash in the millions of dollars. Uh, and that gets passed on to you and me in the area of fees. Now, you ever wonder about where why banks are charging fees? It is interesting because the whole reason they decided to go to ATMs in the first place is because that way they didn't have to hire as many tellers to do the everyday thing about taking in deposits, giving out withdrawals, and that sort of thing. Uh, so it reduced the, the employee overhead. But the fact of the matter is it's become almost more expensive to run ATMs than it is to hire the employees to do the work. Uh, that's that's an interesting thing. So the company we're interviewing today uh, sent me a, um, a, a white paper 
on the issue of, uh, on this particular issue, and the company's name is Inetco. They're based in Vancouver, British Columbia, and they do real-time transaction modeling and monitoring from the initiation of a, a transaction to the endpoint and all the way in between. So they can provide visibility to their clients. Now, they won't tell me who their clients are, but it usually it involves some of the biggest banks you know, all the way to the smaller ATMs, and I, oh, excuse, me, excuse me, smaller credit unions, which is what I happen to use, uh, and a handful of retailers. Uh, they cover credit card transactions, online transactions, and ATM transactions, among a few others. The gentleman I'm talking to today is Yugan Naidu, uh, who is the Chief Technology Officer for Inetco. And uh, let's go right to the interview. And I'll be back with a few more comments. So let's get down to the nitty gritty here. Uh, you, you guys sent me a white paper you had done on um, multi-level uh, transaction layers. And yeah, yeah it's, it sounds like a good idea. It should be done. But the question that popped oh. up is, Aren't they already doing that? Uh, yeah, I mean, to the ordinary layman on the street, you would think that that's already being done. Um, but the answer very simply is no. Um, some of the biggest banks in the world, um, you know, are calling on us to help them fix this specific problem because they don't have the sort of uh, capability in place and they never intended on having such a capability in place. Let me explain to you some of the, the, the challenges. Uh, you know, we know, you know, being in banking or being in the banking sector itself, you know, the, the threat landscape is always changing. You know, as uh, as banks plug in one hole, you know, crime syndicates are you know, always probing and looking for ways to defraud organizations. And, and then they find the next hole, right? Um, so, so it's almost a game of, cat, you know, cat and mouse. Um, they are very simple sort of attacks um, that are being perpetrated across the globe and that, you know, banks would have to find ways of, you know, stopping or curbing those simple attacks. Uh, uh, you know, things like cards getting in the wrong people's hands and so forth, being able to detect, you know, anomalous sort of behavior. Those to me are actually very simple sort of attacks, which banks should, you know, have a handle on. The kind of attacks and, you know, what we've laid out in that white paper is more the advanced um, persistent threats and techniques that, are, that we are seeing, you know, being um, being launched against banks. And, you know, the reason why they are advanced is because they are, they are in essence, targeting multiple sort of departments, um, you know, using a whole host of techniques like social engineering or spear phishing. And, and in essence, what they're doing is gaining access to cardholder data. So they're able to steal the cardholder data itself and then print these on like readily available uh, mag stripe or um, you know uh, gift cards so it can be used in other countries um, and and then the other reason why it's also advanced is because uh, these these crime syndicates are able to gain um, sort of elevated privileges in the organization uh, they, they, they gain access to the critical infrastructure itself the payment infrastructure let me put it that way so you know that in itself is you know, really major feat to accomplish, um, especially when you know, a lot of these crime syndicates are sitting, you know, outside the organizations and, and in some instances even, you know, halfway around the globe. Okay. So, but the, but the so, white paper you yeah. sent was specifically about ATM cash out. Yes, absolutely. And and that's exactly what I'm talking about. So, okay. So, so, so these are ATM cash outs that are being perpetrated against uh, ATMs that are not under the bank's control. 
So as a very okay. simple example. In other words, so like if I go to a 7-Eleven and there's an ATM ex- thing there. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, um, so and, and these 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 um, these ATMs are usually um, you know sitting in other parts of the world. Yeah. So, so so what happens is the easiest way, you know, crime syndicates want cash, right? You know, they don't want any um, sort of linkage back to an account because you know we've seen some of the old attacks, you know, where they create a whole host of accounts and transfer money, you know, to different accounts, and then there'll be mule accounts and so forth. But at the end of the day, there is some level of auditability, right? But when you're talking about cash outs, you know, there's no auditability. Once the cash is out and those money mules have the money, there's no way of being able to get them, especially if that money is taken out in some other part of the world, right? Yeah. So, so, so the easiest way to defraud, well, not the easiest way, but for crime syndicates, the the, the most, um, let's say, uh, uh, lucrative way of being able to get large amounts of cash out in a short period of time is by uh, launching these sorts of attacks. Now, you are right. It's on ATMs. It's sitting in other parts of the world. But what they are using is the cardholder data of, of a bank sitting in some other part of the world, maybe your bank, right? So they right. would have access to your bank card information and maybe, you know, thousands of other bank card information and that they've used through or that they've gained, um, you know, through uh, spear phishing or social engineering. They gain those cardholder, um, you know, data or cardholder data from, uh, from, from social engineering. Once they have that and they're sitting in the other end of the world, they, they print that cardholder data on, on gift cards, but ordinary gift cards. Uh, because all they're using is the mag stripe in the back. Right. Um, and, and so the next step is obviously then being able to compromise the uh, internal payment systems themselves. So what they do is they, they, um, they, they're able to gain, like I mentioned earlier, elevated privileges um, you know, to the bank's infrastructure, things like the payment switch itself. And what they do is they, they install malware on that. So, so what happens is when they're ready to launch the attack, you know, they have, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of money mules that go to, you know, hundreds of 7-Eleven ATMs. Let's use 7-Eleven as an example. They go to hundreds of 7-Eleven ATMs, you know, dotted around uh, around the globe. And then, you know, when the clock reaches a certain time, they say, okay, now it's time to launch this attack. So what happens is the malware comes alive, right? right? And what it does is it's looking for transactions coming from, you know, different locations. And what it's doing is when these... Um, these transactions um, are being carried out at these different locations for, you know, withdrawing large amounts of cash from these ATMs. Those transactions come across, you know, several networks to the bank's infrastructure for approval, right? But before it actually gets to the approval host itself, the back-end host, the switch with the malware on it stands in front and approves these transactions. So in that way, the bank's traditional sort of... um, um, anti-fraud solutions or monitoring solutions are completely blindsided because they never get to see the transaction. They never get to see the fact that, you know, Low is now withdrawing more than his daily allowance, his daily limit. Uh, he's withdrawing from ATMs that allow fallback. Fallback is where you're using the max stripe instead of the chip and pin. So, um, so all of the normal sort of controls uh, associated with protecting the individual's account are completely bypassed because of this man in the middle that sits there and approves these transactions. So in that way, 
you know, uh, we've helped banks across the globe, a large number of them who've been defrauded this way. And, and you know, in a matter of like an hour or two, um, you know, the crime syndicates are able to make out with, you know, anything from 10 to about $20 million in cash. Gone, completely vanished, right? Wiped out of, uh, out of that specific ATM. And, and the bank is now on the hook for it because they provided the authorization. Right. So, uh, so banks only find out about this sometimes days later when, you know, the card networks themselves post these figures back to the bank saying, hey, you know, you owe 7-Eleven, you know, 10 or 15 million dollars because your, your card holders uh, have withdrawn this cash. That's usually the only time the bank realizes, okay, you know, our, our, you know, we don't see any of this in the back end, so how does this happen? And then they go and investigate and figure out, okay, something's been approving these transactions maliciously. It's often, you know, way too late. Okay. So, so that's what we've been advising organizations. It is actually very important um, to, uh, you know, independently audit. And, and I use this word quite often, independently audit the transactions and the transaction journey itself. So that, you know, when we do find a man in the middle attack like this, uh, you know, if there's any compromise to the amount fields, if there's any compromise to the response fields, whether it's approved or declined, uh, or any, any, any changes to the beneficiary details itself, if the transfer or anything of the sort, because we know man in the middle attacks do these kind of things. If we pick this up along the journey of the transaction itself, you know, we can immediately stop that transaction from going ahead. Uh, or at least at the, very, you know, at the very least, you know, stop the bleed. You know, if you pick up the first five or ten transactions are coming from a certain location, from a compromised device, um, you know, what we can do is, uh, is at least limit the amount of transactions that do come uh, and, and get approved. Um, so that in that way, we limit the, um, you know, the, the losses to the bank. Okay. So, 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 so that that is a highly coordinated attack, and like I said earlier, you know, banks should still protect themselves against the very elementary attacks. You know, uh, card cardholder information being stolen, even cards being stolen, and you know, ordinary thieves out there trying to you know, uh, um, you know drain a drain a single bank account of, of of cash. You know, you should be able to protect against that. But again, you should also be able to protect against uh, the bigger sort of attacks. And, you know, this attack has been perpetrated against some big banks, um, some of the biggest banks in certain geographies, uh, and even little ones, you know, dotted throughout even the U.S. as an example. So, so, so we, we see it as a global phenomenon right now. And, and the big issue is that this is being funded by, you know, uh, you know very large crime syndicates out there. Yeah, and probably a lot of nation states. Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, in fact, the one, you know, I'm not sure if you were aware of this attack, but uh, but last year um, the FBI put out a, a global um, uh, notification to banks, warning them of, um, of of a huge crime syndicate being funded from a part of the world um, that was going to be hitting banks, uh, you know, in, in the coming few months. And, you know, it was probably just about a day later that the first big bank in one geography was hit. Um, so, so, so uh, you know, there are, there are intelligence organizations out there who know, um, you know, when these things are about to happen because of the, the reconnaissance work that they are doing, um, you know, a lot of work in different parts of the world. But you're absolutely right. Some of these attacks 
um, seem to be, you know, coming from very specific sort of, um, you know, uh, member nations out there. Yeah. Now, let's take a look at, at the white paper itself. And you identified five different layers in the white paper. Okay, you've got transaction-level uh, monitoring, which we talked about, uh, the EMV chips and PIN numbers, which are the little uh, copper-colored pin chip, uh, or blocks that are on a lot of our cards now. Uh, you mentioned yeah. malware management. Uh, you mentioned yeah. transaction signing. Uh, but then you've also, you started out with message authentication code, which is essentially two-step verification. How does that work with an ATM? So, um, so message authentication code, in essence, um, provides a code back to the um, terminal handler or the authorization switch itself. Um, and in essence, what it does is it, it verifies that that transaction is indeed correct. Um, so all of the sort of message associated with that transaction is coming from the right device. Um, okay, so it's, 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 it's not about the, the actual customer of the bank who's, who's trying to take something out. They're just uh, identifying that the ATM itself is authorized. Absolutely. And okay. that usually is within an acquirer sort of environment. Um, but usually, you know, if the acquirer is completely different, then there's no real consideration given to the cardholder data because that cardholder data is then moved from, you know, one sort of acquirer to then, you know, a, a payment rail itself, things like MasterCard, Visa, uh, you know, then to maybe some inter-switch in-country itself. And then from there it goes to the relevant sort of issuing bank. Now, along the way, the message cannot, you know, the message in that sort of transaction cannot be verified. Uh, because that that only usually happens with the driving um, of those ATMs itself. So it's with the organization that acquires that transaction that verifies that the transaction has been acquired by its own sort of um, you know uh, ATM, and there's no you know rogue ATM sitting in that sort of environment. Okay. But when the transaction then moves on from you know leg to leg, uh, there's no further verification of that. So what we do, in essence, is uh, we look at, uh, because we, uh, we monitor at the network level independently of any other system out there, we're able to pick up uh, a lot of contextual information relating to the transaction itself, like, um, you know, the terminal identifier, um, you know, the, the location of that specific device, um, you know, the, the kind of transaction that it is. And so we marry a lot of this information together. And if we see things that are, let's say, out of the, out of the norm or out of the ordinary, um, you know, we are able to then alert all sorts of individuals in an organization. So a very simple example is if you're finding more than, let's say, five fallback transactions, that means the transaction that has a chip on it uh, was not used. The chip was not used. It's fallen back to the max type, which is less secure. So we see that information coming across the wire. And we know that that is a more risky transaction. If it's one or two transactions coming across the wire, we can accept that. You know, we may, we may think it's a legitimate issue with the chip, and that's why it's fallen back to the mag stripe itself. But if you're finding, you know, hundreds and thousands of these sorts of transactions coming across the wire, you know, in real time, you know, we should be able to make a decision to say, no, something's not right here. All of these transactions are coming from a very specific location, assuming it's, uh, it's, some, it's, it's some geography uh, that, that may be known for these sorts of attacks. Um, you know, we can immediately then say, okay, we'll allow the first five to go through and the rest of it we block. 
right? And then, you know, we, we can then, you know, get the bankers to call those cardholders and, you know, verify whether these transactions are indeed legitimate or fraudulent. Okay. So can you give me maybe a monetary total, just rough rough ballpark number about how much money banks are losing on this every year? Um, it's hard to say what they lose on it every year, but I, I can certainly tell you some of the figures that some of the banks have lost, um, you know, in the past three to four years. Um, and, and I think I've quoted the number before. What we've seen to date is, is dollar values between $10 million and $20 million. Okay. Uh, that's what the banks have reported. We don't know if it's higher than that. Okay. Um, you know, the, 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 uh, a lot of that is things that they've disclosed to us, and some some of it you'll find on the internet as well. Um, one of it is the Cosmos Bank attack. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Yes. Uh, that, that's the public. That, that that's that's one that's in the public domain. But there's a lot of it that goes hidden away from the public for obvious reasons, right? Yeah. Um, banks don't want to lose face with their customers, so so a lot of this is kept under wraps. Um, let, let me bring in a, a personal situation because uh, my information was part of the information that was uh, stolen from Equifax. And oh. we were able to trace uh, that breach specifically to a uh, uh, so, um, so some guy in England wiped out our uh, personal account uh, to buy a beer ma making uh, uh, system. He, he he wanted to make he wanted to start making his own beer at a brew pub, and he used our our financial information to do it. Now, the thing yeah. is that that caused us a bit of a problem, but the bank yeah. made us good. But yeah. do you, if Equifax was employing some of this technology, would that have prevented that from happening? Um, it would, because um, you know what we're able to pick up very quickly is uh, transactions that are anomalous in behavior. So, in, I mean, in order for someone to buy, I'm assuming a, 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 a beer making plant, you know, th that transaction would not be a normal sort of transaction that, that you or I would be doing on yes, a regular Yes, especially basis, since I don't live right? in England. <laughs> <laughs> and, and more importantly, because you're not living in England. So that transaction has been acquired outside of the country with a dollar value higher than most normal sort of dollar values. Right. So, you know, if we set up the rules within our system, we'll be able to pick that up very quickly. And, and there's a number of things we can do. You know, we can, we can either, you know, block the transaction from going ahead, or we can hold the transaction and, and force what we call a step-up authentication, which means, you know, you will get a, a, an SMS or, or, or some notification to say, hey, Lo, there's a transaction that you are doing right now. You know, this is the transaction. You are buying a, a, a brewer, uh, uh, brewing plant uh, for, you know, $15,000, as an example, or 15,000 pounds. Uh, is this you? And all you need to do is just say yes or no, right? If you say no, then we know it's fraudulent, and immediately, immediately that transaction will be flagged, and it will be declined, and we will learn that behavior. So we know in the future, when we see transactions like this, you know, there's no even reason to contact you. We'll just block it, right? And and let you know after the fact, right? Yeah. So so there, you know, we can build a lot of intelligence into the way we we uh, we respond to fraudulent sort of attempts, um, and and that's the whole machine learning behind the product itself as well, so that we don't unnecessarily or you know we don't inconvenience customers 
um, you know, because sometimes there are a large number of these kind of transactions that are put through. In fact, because I, I sometimes get a lot of this information, we see, you know, uh, w- w- when you transact in different locations, uh, strangely enough, you know, it even happened to me about two weeks back. I was in Houston, and um, and and I was at a at a retailer, a very popular retailer. And not even you know, ten minutes later, I get a call from the bank saying, you know, there's been ten transactions that have been put against your account, uh, but they've got the wrong CVV, they've got the wrong um, you know verification number, um, because all they get is actually the front number, right? They don't get the back numbers, right? So, so someone's given them immediately in that you know ten minutes. Someone's you know handed that number off to someone else, right? They they didn't capture the back number, but they've captured the front number, and they tried you know several different CVVs to to, um, uh, to uh, you know to to run a transaction through my account, and it didn't go through. So again, you know, there's no reason for for me to be contacted for that if it's the wrong number that went through, right? Yep. Um, the system should learn this and say, okay, you know, these are all fraudulent sort of attacks and you know, don't worry about it. It's only when the correct sort of numbers are entered in and let's say, um, you know, the behavior is anomalous to my sort of usual behavior, you know, then contact me or send me a, a, a step-up authentication for me to re-authenticate myself to that specific transaction. Okay, that was Yugan Naidu uh, from um, Inetco. And here's the, the question that you might be asking. Why are we telling you this stuff? Well, as I mentioned before, this is, this is a reason things cost as much as they do. Uh, it's, it's one of the issues. And w- one of the things why we should all be concerned about security, why we should take uh, responsibility to find out what our banks are doing with our money, and as pointed out in the interview, uh, lots of banks are, are doing this, but not all of them are. Uh, they are not looking things at, at a layered way. Uh, they, things are falling through the cracks, and they need to step up their uh, security in order to take care of this because they could probably be saving money on uh on repaying people and insurance if they were actually paying attention to what was going on in the cybersecurity world. Uh, to, uh, to excuse what they're doing, it's hard to keep up. Uh, the criminals are going faster than we, they've ever gone before. They're using uh, uh, artificial intelligence to attack with greater speed. Uh, which is a reason that our financial institutions and our retail institutions, they need to be uh, looking at uh, artificial intelligence to combat the speed of, of the cyber criminals. But that's what I wanted to wrap up with today. This has been Lou Covey with Crucial Tech. Uh, come back next week and see what else we're working on. This has been a Footwasher Media production.